You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Welcome to this week's edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. And as normal, I'd like to start with a shout out to our new listeners this week. And this week we have new listeners in London, Cardiff, Southampton, Birmingham, Nottingham, Stockport, Manchester, Newcastle-upon-Tyne, Guildford, Norwich, Reading, Doncaster, Derby and Leeds. So good spread right across England. Um, And then we also have new listeners this week in Porto, in Portugal, in Barcelona, in Spain, in Berlin, in Germany, and Bavaria in Germany, in the Tyrol, in Austria, in Varna, in Bulgaria, in Hadaram, in Israel, in Beijing, in China, in Alberta, in Canada, and then right across the USA this week from California, Virginia, Washington DC, New York, Texas, Maryland, Illinois, New Jersey, Florida, Minnesota, Georgia, Kentucky, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Iowa, Colorado, and Mississippi. So, once again, a great range of new listeners right around the world. I really appreciate all you new listeners to the GDPR Weekly Show. And, of course, a big shout-out to all the regular listeners to the GDPR Weekly Show, too. The show would be nothing without you. And I really do appreciate you all giving up 30 minutes or so of your week to catch up on the latest news and happenings in the world of GDPR. And as always, if you uh, have any comments about the show or any suggestions for future episodes of the show or any certain of people you'd like me to interview on future episodes of the show, then please do just drop me an email to podcasts at insurety.co.uk. That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y dot co.uk. Podcasts at insurety.co.uk. Or just go to the podcast page on the insurancy.co.uk website and you can find a link there to send a message to me too. Uh, I really do appreciate all your messages and uh, all your feedback on the show and I don't have time unfortunately to reply to every message individually but it is great to receive them and I do assure you that I do read every single message that's received and indeed some of you will have noticed articles that you've requested uh, being included in recent episodes of the GPR Weekly Show. So, in a few moments, I'll tell you what's coming up in this week's episode. Check us out on Facebook. So, coming up in this week's edition of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have a report of a data breach from a school in Liverpool. We have a look at the annual report issued by the Irish ICO. We have an update on the investigations into Facebook. We have a look at how GDPR has affected the consent rates, both for email marketing and for SMS marketing for car dealerships in the UK. We then have an article looking at the growth of GDPR equivalent laws within different states across the USA not just the California um, laws, but now laws emerging in other US states as well. We have a call for help for you to give us some feedback on 
the training on GDPR that's been received by those who work within either schools or within the education industry more generally. And then we finish this week with a report of a data breach in Sweden which has actually released a number of recordings of telephone calls into the public domain and a look at the possible implications to come from that. So, as always, a mixed bag for the GDPR Weekly Show, and I hope a informative and entertaining 30 minutes ahead for you as we lead you through this week's developments in the world of GDPR. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. We begin this week with a good example of a self-induced data breach and perhaps an example that shows just how easy it is to have a data breach and that it's not necessarily about people hacking into your system or people stealing items of equipment or even leaving items of equipment on the train. It can be as simple as sending an email to the wrong person. In this particular instance, which involved Mount Primary School in Merseyside, uh, they sent a invoice requesting a late payment for one pupil, but instead of sending the email just to the parent concerned, they copied it to all the parents in the school, which obviously was very embarrassing for them and very, very embarrassing for the parent concerned. Um, the email was demanding £445 from the parent which was part of the payment towards the after-school club facility, where for a whole year the price at this particular school is £1,140. Um, parents of all 300 children at the school are said to have received the email on Tuesday 26th of February, which asked for the money to be paid in full by March the 8th. If the money was not paid, it said the pupil's place on the Lighthouse after-school club would be forfeited. Obviously quite a significant data breach in terms of distress to the parents concerned this. Um, and uh, the Wallace's store, as in, as now said, they breached personal data by revealing the name of the people in question and said that it was simply an administrative error. It added that though we are sympathetic to individual circumstances and endeavour to try and help families, the after-school club is self-funded and does not receive financial help from the school. As a consequence, the club relies on prompt and regular payment from families who use the club services. Delays with childcare voucher payments notwithstanding, all sessions should be paid for in advance or in the week they are taken. That's all well and good, of course, but it doesn't detract from the fact of the data breach of sending it to all the, all the parents rather than just the parents of the people concerned. Um, on Tuesday this week, the school sent out a further email to parents informing them that the original email had amounted to a breach of the pupil's personal data, and it said that their data protection officer was investigating and the ICO had been informed, and we don't yet know if the ICO intends to take any action. So we'll keep an eye on this one and keep you updated. But I think it goes to show how easy it is to have a data breach, and also the potential consequences of the data breach because I can foresee the scenario where the parent involved in this case 
would be probably able to claim damages for distress in terms of the damage to their reputation amongst other parents through this email being released to all the parents at the school. Um, so the school may well have intended to collect £445. It would not surprise me at all if the uh, school does not have to pay more than that, A, in penalties to the ICO, and B, actually in compensation to the parents of the people concerned in response to the distress that those parents would have suffered. So just an example there of a day-to-day -day item which can go badly wrong. So before you hit send on an email, do double check that you're not sending it to your whole email database by mistake. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The Irish ICO have just released their review of the year 2018. And uh, one thing I thought was interesting from that report was that they've broken down the data breaches that have been reported to them by type. And rather as per the last article about the school, the breakdown by type of data breach is really interesting, I think. By far the largest uh, segment of data breaches was unauthorised disclosure. So people just simply making a mistake in releasing the data to the wrong person. Be that through sending an email to the wrong address, putting the wrong attachment on the wrong email, putting the wrong attachment on a letter in the post, putting two copies of a letter in the post without realising the second one was there. All those sort of examples. But anyway, taking all of those in total, they accounted for 85% of all the data breaches reported to the Irish ICO in 2018. The next highest reason was paper documents either being stolen or being lost in transit. And I think what that emphasises is that you, when you're sending data in transit, it's really not a good idea to just send it in the normal post. It's a much better idea to send it either by recorded delivery or special delivery, certainly something where you get a signature for delivery so you can verify who's received the data. The next highest after paper had been lost or stolen was hacking. And that only accounted over 3% of all the data breaches reported. So whilst we concentrate a lot on hacking and, and a lot of the data breaches that we come across are due to hacking or reported are due to hacking, they actually make up only 3% of the total. So perhaps we should all bear that in mind. And then the other reasons, all of which accounted for 1% of the total each, were electrical devices being lost or stolen with encrypted data, 
electrical devices being lost or stolen with unencrypted data. The inappropriate disposal of paper. Now this is an interesting one. Now, those of you who have attended my training courses will know that I'm a big fan, a big proponent of the use of cross-cut threaders. Please make sure you are using a cross-cut threader. If you're not using a cross-cut threader to dispose of paper documents, the chances are that you're committing a data breach, possibly without realising it at the time. So save yourself some headache there. and Go out today and get yourself a cross-cut threader if you don't really have one. Um, and then 1% was down to malware. So, you know, actual uh, virus, if you like, uh, malware that's been installed on a computer that's taking data without people necessarily realising. And 1% by phishing, where people send an email which appears to be from a official body or from a large company, and in fact isn't. It's, it's, a, it's a fake. But I think it's interesting to see there that, you know, by far, I'd say 85% reason is just simply unauthorised disclosure or human error. And so uh, do make sure that all your staff are well briefed in checking who they are sending data to and you can avoid becoming one of those statistics. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The Irish ICO is certainly being kept busy because as well as all the uh, smaller data breaches which we mentioned in the previous article, they are continuing their investigations into Facebook and they also revealed this week that they are also carrying out data breach investigations into Apple, Twitter, LinkedIn, WhatsApp and Instagram. So uh, whilst in the past the Irish have benefited from having these multinationals establish their, U their European uh, place of business to be in Ireland, it has meant now that if any of these organisations have a significant data breach, that the responsibility for investigating that breach falls upon the Irish ICO. And uh, so they're investigating a whole host of different issues with Facebook, as we know. And the UK is also uh, finding it difficult with Facebook at the moment. A report came out this week from the Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport that said that Facebook has deliberately set out to obstruct and, and frustrate its inquest into the role of social media into spreading hate speech and fake news. The report went on to say that Facebook boss Mark Zuckerberg attitude to proceedings was nothing short of contempt. Committee Chair Damian Collins MP said Mark Zuckerberg continually fails to show the levels of leadership and personal responsibility that should be expected from someone who sits at the top of one of the world's biggest companies. Interestingly as well this week a PR agency backed survey of 2,000 UK consumers showed that 83% had support for the idea that the government should be able to introduce specific regulation of Facebook. A clear majority of the respondents believed Facebook was damaging to its users' mental health and that fake news was damaging to democracy. 
You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. A survey from Marketing Delivery has shown the possible impact of needing to get consent for marketing communications from leads and new customers. And their particular survey looked at the UK car dealer market and found that the email consent rate since GDPR came into force had dropped from 80% to 70% and the consent rate for receiving SMS messages from car dealers had dropped from 73% to 56%. So particularly with the SMS data they're quite a considerable drop in the number of people or the percentage of people giving consent to be marketed to in that way. Check us out on Facebook. Just a reminder that as well as the podcast we now have our own Facebook group. Please do pop along and see us there at https colon slash slash www.facebook.com slash groups slash GDPR Weekly Show. That's always one word, GDPR Weekly Show. And uh, do please come and join the group and follow the discussions that are going on. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. We've mentioned in previous episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show about how various uh, countries around the world are adopting similar standards to GDPR and how GDPR is becoming the uh, exemplar standard for data protection. And we've mentioned before the uh, California Consumer Privacy Act, the CCPA, which comes into force on January the 1st, 2020. The CCPA, like GDPR, provides certain rights to consumers, including the right to know, the right to access, the right to opt out, and the right to deletion. Interestingly, though, a late change to the Act has been that, as well as the current rules with uh, apply under GDPR and would also apply under CCPA that there must be an opt-in box to receive communication and the opt-in box must be a positive choice. The CCPA also requires websites to provide an opt-out box so where someone has previously opted in they want to make opting out to be as simple as opting in, which it should also be under GDPR, of course, but CCPA have actually put this into words and have said that there must be an opt-out box actually on the website so that if someone has previously opted in to receive communication from you and now wishes to not receive communication from you, then they simply go to that box, tick the box, and opt out of receiving any marketing. Remember, this is only in... California um, under CCPA but what is interesting is the number of US states which are now looking to introduce something similar and we're coming up with some real hybrids between CCPA on the one hand and GDPR on the other and there are now 11 states which we know are 
working on similar legislation, including now Maryland, New Jersey and Washington. But the problem is, unlike GDPR, which is common right across the whole of the European Union and the UK, the US states are each going their own way. So each um, state law on data privacy is proving to be slightly different to the other states in the US. Now, clearly, if you have a company or an organization in the US which only deals with one US state, that's simple. But if you're dealing with a number of US states, that's more complicated. And it also adds a level of complication to companies in the UK who wish to trade with the US states because it's not yet quite clear how some of these laws which are being introduced in the US are going to apply to companies overseas, whether that's in the EU or whether it's in the UK. So it's something which we're continuing to dig into in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show because I think it's something which we're all going to have to be wary of. So as we get more information, we will, of course, pass it on to you. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. It was disappointing this week to learn that a survey of schools under the control of Wakefield Council had found that only around 50% of the staff had actually received any training at all in GDPR. And I think it goes to emphasise that it's important that all of your staff who are customer-facing, client-facing, in the case of schools, uh, pupil and parent-facing, do receive training in GDPR, at least in the basics, because GDPR applies right across the board. And also, of course, it's very important that these members of staff who come into contact with members of the public are aware of what may or may not constitute a subject data access request because bearing in mind that you only have 30 days to comply with data access request from the moment a data access request is made then if your frontline staff aren't even trained in how to recognize a data access request let alone in what to do with it or who their data controller is they need to speak to or who their data protection officer is the dpo that they need to speak to then that really does leave those stools um, very vulnerable. Now, I would hope that Wakefield stools are the exception to the norm, but I don't know. And I know that a number of you are within the education sector, so if you are, perhaps you'd be kind enough to just drop me a quick email, and don't worry, I'm not going to call anybody out by name or report anybody to the ICO, but... If you can just drop me a quick email to podcasts at insurety.co.uk, that's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk, with a note of roughly what percentage of staff at your school or education establishment I have received training in GDPR. Because it would just be really interesting to know from my perspective, and I'm sure from, from an industry perspective, in terms of just what the take-up across schools and educational establishments has been. 
because if it is a wider picture, if it is true that right across the board, only 50% of people who should have received GDPR training received any, then that's something we all need to look to address as rapidly as we possibly can. And perhaps I can look at providing some online training uh, which your colleagues who have not received GDPR training will be able to access, and I've been more than willing to do that, but I only want to do that uh, to be store or training centre specific if there's a real requirement. So uh, please do just drop me a quick email to podcasts at uh Just let me know roughly what percentage of your staff have received GDPR training and any other comments you have about the GDPR training you've received. And don't worry, I will keep it all anonymous, but it will just help to build a picture across the wider industry. So thank you for your cooperation in that. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. And we finish this week with a report from Sweden about a really quite unusual data breach. Uh, It concerns a medical service in Sweden which has recorded around 57,000 phone calls and uh, in a number of these cases the file names indicated the caller's phone number. In total these 57,000 phone calls equated to some 170,000 hours worth of actual talk time. Now, while recording sensitive phone calls is not that unusual, I'm sure we've all been prompted at some time or another when we've spoken to big companies that our phone calls may be monitored for training purposes. What went badly wrong in this example from Sweden is that these uh, call recording files were left on a server which had no security at all. It didn't even need a login and a password to get into the server. If you knew the IP address of the server, then you could download any of these phone calls. Um, needless to say, the situation has now been corrected by the company in concerned, but nonetheless, it just does to show how, again, there could be areas which perhaps we don't originally think of within GDPR, because people with GDPR tend to think about computer records first, and then they might think about paper records second, but I wonder how many of us within GDPR have actually thought about telephone records if we actually record in calls anywhere. The fact that that potentially is covered by GDPR too. Obviously it depends what the calls are about, it depends what we record. But in this particular case, because it's recording people's medical problems, it's actually people leaving messages for their doctors and nurses when their doctors and nurses weren't available. And it was giving away, obviously, probably people's names, because people would like to leave their name, and their telephone number, and in some cases their Swedish social security number. Obviously, potentially here, it's a really big and embarrassing data breach for the company involved. So, it's very early days on this one. We'll keep a close eye on it, and again, as usual, we'll bring you any updates in future episodes of the GDPR weekly show and indeed I think in the future episode of the GDPR weekly show we'll also have a deeper look at the recording of telephone calls particularly where calls are made uh, to call recording systems and also of course calls that are made using voice over IP and what steps you need to take to make sure that you keep that call data to be 
consistent with ensuring that you're compliant with GDPR. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us at Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember, keep your data safe. Check us out on Facebook. The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.